Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Tuesday, September 28th. Today on the show, the Tennessee Volunteers' chances at making a bowl game might be going up. Josh Heupel gives us an update on his injured quarterback. The Nashville Predators' preseason schedule is well underway, but we begin with Teron Davenport of ESPN to talk about the growth of the Titans' defense and what he makes of the drama surrounding Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. The Kingston Group, the Kingston Group, the Kingston Group, the Kingston Group, the Kingston Group. This is the only name you need to know if you are looking to do work on your house. They are award-winning, they are locally owned, and you can trust them. The Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Tron Davenport, of course, from ESPN, joining us here on the show. You can catch the podcast as well, talking with TD. I've been hearing you on ESPN Radio out of Bristol as well, my man. So good to hear your voice, good to see your face. The Titans defense, third down, pass rush, red zone we're starting to see some signs in the first couple of games yeah. of the things they were talking about all offseason what makes you believe that those are things they can replicate and continue the whole season i think they are things that, that they can replicate and when you look at the c's right confidence comfort and then just playing with fast uh, playing with speed rather that's that's what allows them to do that i mean these guys are flying all over the ball all over the field rather <laughs> and um I mean, when you look at Dane Crookshank, David Long, these guys have added a speed element, and that dime package has become uh, something that they go to with those two guys on the field, and it's really working. And it's been that way since the second half of that Seahawks game. He saw it work against the run, and even being able to dictate situations where the Colts wanted to run the football, but they didn't because there were new looks that they weren't seeing, new wrinkles. And I think that's a good sign when you're not allowing a team like the Colts, who they stick to running the football. When you're not allowing them to dictate how it goes, instead you're doing the dictating, I think that's a, a big sign. So those are some things that are working in their favor on third downs as well as in, in the red zone. Now, I will say this, against the Colts, you had some fourth down conversions that kind of negated the third down stops. But still, uh, overall, there are things that they can roll forward. Yeah, and that's without a couple of major pieces, right? Like no Hooker, no Dupree, no Brown. So if those guys start to come back, we could. There, there's some optimism there as well. Offensively, I, I don't even know how to describe what I'm seeing because, like, Derrick Henry's still Derrick Henry. He's he's just a monster. He just is what he is. Uh, I don't know, like, if there were some self-inflicted wounds against the Colts. It seems like they didn't. It took them three quarters, two and a half quarters to wake up against the Seahawks. They certainly did not play a good football game offensively against Arizona. I, I, what, what are you making of sort of the inconsistencies? And is this stuff that, again, you think they're just going to iron out as they continue to get healthier and kind of progress through the year? A lot of that is the offensive line, and it really all starts in the trenches. And you look at the Arizona game, they were continuous. They were losing up front. The line of scrimmage was reestablished in their backfield. For a good part of the, the Seahawks game, you saw that too. But then things started to turn around because they, they saw creases. They saw opportunities. They were patient and they went back to the run and it continued to just kind of wear them down. And eventually Derrick Henry broke that long run courtesy of a really good block by AJ Brown. So I think really it's, it's a lot of just finding ways to win up front. And it's tough, you know, when you don't have Taylor Lewan, when you don't have Saffold out there, but they still did it 
against the Seahawks this uh, past game, you know, against the Colts, they were losing, you know, uh, Muhammad was, was really giving them 97. He was giving them all kinds of work up front and he was getting in the backfield and he had Leonard, you know, just the way he was running and, and pursuing, but they still managed to keep wearing at it. But I think the big thing is just the contributions they got from guys, unexpected options in the passing game, Henry, Nick Westbrook, Kenny, Jeremy Nick McNichols making the catch. So that was a big, uh, big thing to kind of hang your hat on. And I think for them to be able to win games like that, the last two ones that they've won, especially this last one without having Julio Jones or AJ Brown or Derrick Henry being a huge factor. When I say Derrick Henry being a huge factor, it's crazy. A guy gets over a hundred yards rushing and he has some pretty solid catches and you say he wasn't a huge factor. So I, let me rephrase that not being the normal factor. I think it's really remarkable that they could win a game that way. Oh, by the way, uh, having three turnovers, they overcame all that. Yeah, yeah, Thir- 31 touches, not a huge factor uh, in the game. How, how concerned are you, real quickly, how concerned are you about A.J. and Julio just in general? I don't think there's concern. Now, the hamstring is something that, I mean, you, you can't play with that. So I wouldn't expect to see him practice at all this week, and they'll test him and see how he could go. He'll probably get that electronic stimulation you know, that type of thing. Uh, Julio Jones, I, I, you know, the concern is tough to have the concern because you just don't know. Right. And the thing was, uh, coach Rabel said that he tightened up a little bit and he was just kind of trying to, uh, how could I put it? He made a decision, not Julio. I think he may have just been trying to protect Julio Jones from yeah. himself because yeah. when you get a little tight, you know, how it is, you can push it and it, it could be to lead to something bigger. Ron, always a pleasure, man. Keep up the good work. Talking with TD is the podcast, uh, ESPN Radio, all over the place, ESPN.com. Thank you so much, man. No problem. Thank you. I alluded to this briefly on Monday's edition of the show, but I thought we could spend a little more time on it today, and that is the state of the SEC East. Georgia looks completely dominant on both offense and defense, not just defense. And Florida, of course, well, they just proved themselves against Tennessee, and they belong atop the division with the Bulldogs. And while I like Kentucky a lot, they have not looked good in either of their last two wins in close victories over Tennessee, Chattanooga, and South Carolina. And then I saw the opening point spread for the Volunteers' trip to Missouri this weekend. The Tigers are only favored by three points. I would never have told you that was going to be the number back in the summer. Mizzou has a hell of a quarterback in Connor Bazelak, who didn't start last year's loss to Tennessee in Neyland Stadium. He's completed almost 70% of his passes this year, is averaging 300 yards per game, and has 10 touchdowns to go against only three interceptions. He has been excellent for Missouri. But Vegas knows what's up. The Tigers' defense has been exposed against Kentucky in Week 2 in a loss, giving up 300 yards rushing, and again this past weekend to a Boston College team that scored 41 points with a backup quarterback. That is a pretty good Boston College team, to be fair. But the Vols should be able to score on this defense, right? So when you look at Tennessee's schedule, chances for wins and a chance to reach bowl eligibility, I would argue that those chances have improved based on nothing that has anything to do with Tennessee, just the conference and the division around Tennessee. Mizzou is clearly a winnable game if the Vols play their best football this weekend. Kentucky, as I just mentioned, is struggling to find balance on offense. Stop me if you've heard that one before. It'll certainly be a very difficult road trip in the middle of a very difficult stretch of their schedule. South Carolina and Vanderbilt are hot garbage inside of a dumpster fire. Do Bama, Georgia, and Ole Miss look unwinnable for Tennessee? Yes, they do. But that's how those games have sort of always looked to me. South Carolina and Vanderbilt were always must-wins. 
But for most of the summer, I didn't think that the Vols could beat either Kentucky or Missouri on the road. And packaged with a loss to Pittsburgh in Week 2, that was going to be the thing that kept this team from going to the postseason. But after watching the last few weeks, the Vols should be a clear favorite over the Gamecocks and Commodores at home and appear to be much more evenly matched with Mizzou and Kentucky than previously believed. Does that mean that the Vols are going to go bowling? Of course not. But this team has a better chance today to get into the postseason than they've had at any point all season. Josh Heupel may not have a better chance all season to provide evidence of the buy-in and the rebuilt culture than with a win against his former team this Saturday. And it could be the difference between Tennessee going to a bowl game and getting an extra month and a half of practice to develop that roster or staying home for the holidays. Now, a big factor as to whether Tennessee will be competitive and capable of pulling the upset in Columbia, Missouri against the Tigers this weekend is the status of starting quarterback Hendon Hooker, who, of course, took a huge shot late in the game against Florida. Josh Heupel said on Monday that he is not sure if Hooker will be available or not, but that he is not in the concussion protocol. So some bad news and some good news maybe there from Coach Josh Heupel. I don't see this team going on the road and winning with Joe Milton. I'm not sure if they can go on the road and win with Harrison Bailey. They have a chance to go on the road and win with Hendon Hooker. That's all the update we got from the coaching staff, so it's still a wait-and-see approach for the rest of the week, but it is a huge piece of news for Tennessee fans to keep an eye on as we get closer to Saturday. In case you did not know, the Nashville Predators' preseason schedule is well underway. The Preds lost both of their games to the Florida Panthers over the weekend, if that means anything to anyone. Tanner Janot scored twice. Rem Pitlick scored a power play goal in the 5-4 overtime loss in Game 1. Then Nashville lost 3-1 in Game 2 that featured only a handful of guys that will even make the team. Colton Sissons, Nick Cousins, Rocco Grimaldi, maybe Mark Bervietsky, and Matt Benning. You get the idea. Although Philip Tomasino, the young phenom, did play 21 minutes and get three shots off in his preseason debut. The Preds will play in their third and final preseason game on Thursday against Tampa Bay. And then game one of the NHL season will be Thursday, October 14th, when expansion team Seattle plays its first ever game in league history at Bridgestone Arena. Hockey season right around the corner. Did I mention earlier in the show that the 440 is brought to you by the Kingston Group and that this is the only name you need to know when considering doing some big work or some big renovations or a custom build on your home? It's because it's the only name you need to know. BuildKG.com is the website. They are locally owned, award-winning, and you can trust their process for a reason because they've been successful in this market taking care of their clients. BuildKG.com is the website. The Kingston Group is the name. Thank you guys all for listening. My name is Braden Gall. Please share the show. That is all that we ask. This has been the 440 for Tuesday, September 28th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. Thank you.